I want to ask you if you could please stand with me in a reverence for the word of our Lord as we read the passage uh, for this morning. Uh, once again, it's Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and the, again, we're focusing in this, in this message on verse 12, but, but I'm going to read um, Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17 just to, to remind you of all the commandments. Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truth on our hearts today. You may be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your holy word. Lord, as we see your moral law, your eternal will for your people, as a reflection of your moral character, we pray, Father, that you would enable us to see with spiritual eyes what is required in this commandment. Lord, help us to repent of our failure to obey you in every sphere of life. Lord, we pray that you would grant us forgiveness. And Lord, as you promised, you would not only forgive us, but Lord, you will also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to be a people who are marked by repentance, yes, but also by obedience and growth in the same. Lord, help us to be a submissive people. Lord, help us to honor those who are in authority. For in this we declare our faith in you, our trust in your sovereignty, and our hope for eternity in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. On October the 21st, Canadians are going to vote in the federal election. And according to recent polls, it's neck and neck with Justin Trudeau in a slim lead. 
Now, Justin Trudeau may be reelected or Andrew Scheer may become prime minister. But if Scheer does happen to win, he's going to take the Bible in his hands and he's going to swear to uphold the responsibilities of the office of prime minister, just as Justin Trudeau did five years ago. In Canada, the prime minister swears an oath of office, but he also swears an oath of allegiance. An oath of allegiance to the ruling monarch, at this point, Queen Elizabeth II. So in Canada, the highest office in the land is also a position of submission. A position of submission to the Queen. But it's also a position with responsibilities to the people of Canada. It's a two-way street, so to speak. The people of Canada have responsibilities to the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister has responsibilities to the people. But far more than responsibilities to the people or even the Queen, the re-elected or newly elected Prime Minister of Canada is in a position of submission to Almighty God. The oaths that are taken are ultimately taken at a submission to God. They close with the phrase, so help me God. And even though some elected officials opt to omit the so help me God part, those in office still have a responsibility to God and will give an account to him for the discharge of their duties to him. Now, oaths of office are common all over the world. Elected officials swear to uphold their responsibilities with faithfulness and integrity. And in the Western world, at least, the ceremony commonly involves placing one's hands on the Bible. However, this past week, as reported in the Washington Post and discussed by Albert Moeller on the briefing, newly elected St. Louis City Councilor Kelly Dunaway opted to forego swearing on the Bible and it chose instead to place her hands and swear on Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places You Will Go. You can't make this stuff up. The book famously declares, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. And you know what you know, and you are the one who will decide where you go. And that was this message that prompted her to make the choice of that book. She said, you get to direct your destiny. And she says, if that message can spread, it can change the world. And though, listen to this, she says, although we do have to get past the people who think I'm a heathen. Now, the city councillor is flat out denying God's authority in her life. And she's saying that Christians are in the way of progress. She does not want to submit to God. It's no surprise. People don't naturally like to submit. Children don't like submitting to parents. Wives don't like submitting to husbands. Men don't like submitting to anyone. And no one likes submitting to God left in their natural state. Now, you have not sworn on a Bible to discharge your duties as father and mother. But you will give an account 
to Almighty God for the discharge of your duties, and not just in your family, but your duties towards all of those who are in authority. And if you are one who is in authority, then you are also going to give an account, just as Justin Trudeau will give an account for the discharge of his duties. But like the third commandment, not to take the name of the Lord in vain, a, a superficial glance at the fifth will lead us to give ourselves a pass. After all, when it says, honor your father and mother, then this one's just for the kids, right? So adults, can you, can you tune out or, or go down early to get a jump start on the snacks? Of course not. This commandment is addressed to all of us. Rebellion comes naturally to us because we are all children of our first parents. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden and people have been disobeying ever since. And disobedience starts in the home. It doesn't take very long for children to display their sinful nature as they begin to exert their will over and against that of their parents. But parents can either reinforce that rebellion or instead teach their children submission. And by failing to teach their parents submission, parents are teaching their children rebellion to authority in general. But by actively teaching their children submission, parents are actually teaching their children to submit. When you teach your children to submit to, to mom and dad, you're teaching your children to submit to authority in general. But more importantly, far more importantly, by teaching children that they cannot submit as God commands them to submit, parents are teaching their children their need to submit to Christ in repentance and faith. And you're teaching your children not just by those direct lessons, by what you say, but also by what you do. Children are also watching your submission to authority or lack thereof. How do you think their ch your children are going to respond to their boss if they hear you bad-mouthing your boss? As a teacher, I, I saw this time and again. My most disobedient students came from homes where, where proper parental authority was not being exercised. And it was most often a single parent who was struggling to meet the needs of the children, trying to, to obey them as single parents in a way that they were never designed to do. It's not rocket surgery, nor is it brain science. If children do not honor their parents, all other earthly authorities will collapse. We see clear evidence of this in, in homes where children aren't required to obey their parents and in communities where fathers are absent. As Edward Fisher wrote in The Marrow of Modern Divinity, the government of fathers is the first and most ancient of all others. And because the society of father and mother is that from whom all other societies do come. And so the fifth commandment is about submission to authority out of submission to God. But it's, it's more than just submission. It's about honor. The commandment says, honor your father and mother. And the word that, that's translated honor there is the same word as for, for weighty or glory. 
And so, so to honor someone as God commands is to regard them as substantial, as important, and to afford them the proper weight that is due their position. And it's not just about honoring parents, but honoring all of those who are in authority. Listen to question 118 of, of Hercules Collins' Orthodox Catechism. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? Answer, that I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those who are in authority over me, that I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me, and also that I be patient with their failings, for through them God chooses to rule us. Now I know that, that when, when Jane, my wife, was, was growing up, that, that she would say that there was something that she wanted to do, that she would go to her father and, and ask her father for permission, and if he said no, even if she had disagreed with it, she would, she would commit it to prayer and trust that God had placed her father in a position of authority to, to guide and to govern her life. And then quite often it was this, it was a situation where, where it, was, it would actually be okay. Her father would have a change of heart in it. We, we talk to our children about the, the, the circle of blessing. Parents have been given to children as a circle of blessing to, to protect them and to guide them from making foolish and dangerous choices. And when children step outside of that circle of blessing in their disobedience, they're putting themselves, even sometimes they're putting their very lives at risk. So again, this, this command is not just about submission, but also about honor. People can, can submit out of fear or out of mere duty or eye service. You can have submission without honor, but you cannot have honor without submission. And so in the fifth commandment, God is calling us to honor others, to honor them out of love. This is about neighbor love. And here with the fifth commandment, we're, we're now shifting from the, the first table of the law to the second table of the law. Remember, the, the first table, the first four commandments, focus on loving God. The second table, the final six commandments, are about loving our fellow human beings. And those are going to see that love for others must ultimately be out of love for God. Jesus taught that the commandments are summed up in the great commandment, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. So then the commandment to, to honor your father and mother is foundational for your relationship with all of those who are in authority over you. From submission in the home, children learn submission to all authority. Augustine said, It's your parents you see when you first open your eyes. It is their friendship that lays down the first strands of this life. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? So what he's saying here is that, that those who will not submit to their parents will not submit to anyone. But again, this, this commandment is, is not just for relationships with those where you are under their authority, but also when you are over someone else in a position of authority. Authority relationships are reciprocal. There are responsibilities for those under authority and there are responsibilities for those in authority. It's a two-way street. 
Under the fifth commandment, children have responsibility towards parents, and parents have responsibility towards children. It's also about mutual submissions. I mentioned the children, but with those who are peers. Here again from, from Edward Fisher, from the Marrow of Modern Divinity. Honor thy father and mother is that every man, woman, and child be careful to carry themselves as becomes them in regard to that order God has appointed among men and that relation they have to others. Now, as we walk through this fifth commandment, I'm going to do something a little bit different than I've done with the other commandments. Previous, previously, I, I've spoken about the duty required and then the sin forbidden. But this time, I'm going to speak about how each aspect of the authority in the parent-child relationship plays out in future authority relationships. So first of all, we're, we're going to see familial authority. Familial authority, the authority that takes place with, within your, your immediate family. And then also there's application to the, the broader family, your, your blood relations. Now, I'm, I'm going to spend the most time here, but this is still just going to be a snapshot. I preached two sermons on this in our studies of Ephesians. Children's responsibilities to parents in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. And parents' responsibilities to children in Ephesians 6, 4. And the authority relationship between children and parents, we, we again, we see that the seed of all future authority relationships. Not only is the authority of parents on, on the basis of simply being a parent, but under that authority comes familial authority, spiritual authority, vocational authority, and governmental authority with God as the ultimate authority. We're going to walk through each one of those. But as children grow up, they're, they're going to encounter each of these authority figures in their lives, and they're going to be required to respond accordingly and faithfully to each. And for you as a parent, you can go a long way in, in helping your children to be able to learn to respond to authority correctly and faithfully. John Calvin said that, that honoring requires three things. Honor, obedience, and gratefulness. Children are to give parents the honor that is their due. And see from this commandment from Exodus 20:12, it's both parents. It's father and mother. Father and mother. I remember as a, as a child, I, I was a, as a teenager, I said something very disrespectful to my mother. And my dad came down the stairs. And it was, it was arguably the, the most angry that I've seen my dad. In control, but he, I crossed a line. And I knew that I crossed a line, that I w must never cross that line again. It's honor, father, and mother. And so we need to understand that, that when it comes to our relationships with our family, here respect is key. R respect, again, is an attitude of the heart. It's an inward sense of holding your parents in high regard. And so children, do you hold your parents in high regard? Being a parent is a weighty responsibility. This is, this is true of, of the honorable parent or even when a parent is dishonorable. And the reality is that, that no parent is always honorable. Parents sin. The, the, the honor comes simply because they are parents, not just because of, of them as a person. That should be there as well, but, but because of the role that they have been given by God in your life. And so some children, again, have wicked parents. 
but children are still to respect them even if it means at times they must disobey them. Now this is an important principle. The duties in the second table of the law, the the responsibilities to, to our fellow human beings are subservient to the duties in the first table of the law, responsibilities towards God. So our, our duties towards God take priority over our duties towards people. We're going to see this throughout our sermon. It's going to come up in later sermons as well in these Ten Commandments. Children are to obey their parents unless their parents are telling them to sin. If you disobey your parents and they're not telling you to sin, you're sinning against God. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You obey your parents because your ultimate obedience is to the Lord. You can see that from the parallel verse, Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This also means, again, that, that if your parents are telling you to sin, you have to say respectfully, no. But you know what else that means? Again, it means that if they're not telling you to sin, you have to do it. I said to the kids, right away, all the way, in a happy way. And anything less than that is not obedience. And so children obviously are to obey their parents when they're children. When they're under their parents' roof. But it doesn't end there. You might be grown up and long out of your parents' house with a family of your own. But there is no statute of limitations on this command. Now, yes, there's a shift when you move out of your parents' home, especially when you get married, you are to, to leave and cleave. Marriage does change the relationship. But whenever possible, you are still to seek to obey your parents and you are always to honor them. Likewise, you, you are to show them gratitude. Always be, be thankful for your parents. Say, say thank you to your parents. Tell them thank you. They sacrificed for you. They're still sacrificing for you. They, they fed you. They changed your poopy diapers. But again, there's no statute of limitations on this. This doesn't stop when you grow up. It doesn't stop when your parents are aged. Out of that honor and obedience and gratitude, you're also to provide for your parents. When Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that anyone who does not provide for his relatives, especially those of his household, the context reveals that he is talking not primarily about a wife and children. He's talking about aged parents. And and so particularly when your parents are aged, look for ways to help them. Help them around the home or to to visit them or, or to call them. And this is especially important if you have parents in in a retirement home. In my ministry, I've visited plenty of retirement homes. And and I've seen time and again elderly people who've been forgotten, just wasting away in front of a TV or a blank wall. And it's not just your parents. It's in-laws too. Again, go visit them. Or if possible, take them into your home and care for them in your home and they will be, have much, much better care than they could ever receive in a retirement home where there are, are many, many more people to be cared for. And so, so again, this is for parents and in-laws, but, but I would argue that this also extends to your church family too. 
the aged people in your church family, those, those maybe don't have any relatives in the area, you have the privilege and the responsibility of going to them, ministering the gospel to them. That's one of the things we talked about last week is, is a great day for, the, the great thing to do on the Sabbath. When you devote that day to God, you have that extra time to be able to, to love and serve those, especially in your church family. So that's a snapshot of a, of a responsibility of children towards parents. But what of parents' responsibility towards children? Well, I mentioned them already. Familial authority, spiritual authority, vocational authority, and governmental authority that points them to God as the ultimate authority. Parents, again, this is father and mother. You have a God-given authority over your children. You have responsibility for your children. For, for and Here we're going to talk about their physical and emotional needs. But by remaining together in a loving relationship with your spouse, you are going a long way towards meeting those needs. Now, uh, I just want to say a, a little bit of a further word about marriage. Because we could also talk about matrimonial authority in this section. On the wife's responsibilities towards her husband and the husband's responsibilities towards his wife. Again, I preached before on this three sermons from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wife, you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. And even if he behaves sinfully, you are to win him by your respectful and pure conduct. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Husband. What would it mean for you, for you to, to love your wife as Christ loves the church in Ephesians 5, 25 to 30? To, to care for her, to provide for her, to wash her in the water of the word by living with her in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3, 7. So, Husbands and wives, when you, by God's grace, live out a loving, committed relationship with your spouse that reflects the gospel in this way and repent when you fail to do that, you're fulfilling one of your main responsibilities to your children, one of your main responsibilities to each other, and one of your main responsibilities to the Lord. Now, in some cases, you might be unequally yoked Possibly through convincing yourself that the person you wanted to marry was a Christian when they really weren't. Or maybe you got saved after marriage. Now, and I cannot even imagine how difficult it must be for you to, sh to not be able to share the most important thing in your life, your faith, with the most important person, human being in your life, your spouse. But in those situations, your church family can be a support to you, a huge support to you. But even still, if you're married to an unbeliever, your responsibilities are still the same. You're gonna need wisdom in order to see how this needs to be worked out. So that's, really, that's talking about the familial authority. Now let's, let's move into the spiritual authority. Your children's greatest needs are not physical. They're not emotional. They are spiritual. So parents, and fathers in particular, you are to raise your children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6.4. Again, I preached a sermon on this verse. You are to, to teach your children about God from an early age. 
Don't assume that your children are saved. Assume that they aren't saved. Because they're not. Until they are born again, until they, they turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. Until they begin to, you won't know that they're saved until they begin to really show fruit that's, that's, that's in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit. But if they profess faith in Christ, continue to talk to your children about their sin. Continue to talk to them about their, their need for Christ. They need the gospel every day, every bit as much as you do. Teach your children diligently and intentionally about God and His attributes as part of your regular daily conversation. Yes, we should have regular devotional times with our families, but, but this isn't just for that, that set time in the, the morning and evening. This is meant to be all the time. Ephesians or Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. Walk through the Proverbs with your children again and again. A good catechism like Benjamin Keach's or Hercules Collins who will be a great help to you. You know, a few years ago, Ted Tripp, who wrote Shepherding a Child's Heart, came to, to a local church here, and he, he spoke about, about parents showing their children the glory of God. Have you thought about that? About the privilege that you have to be able to, to reveal the glory of God to your children. Yes, in the, the glory of God in, in the way that you are living a different life because of God, because of the gospel. But, but to talk to your children regularly about, about how great and how glorious God is, teaching them about His attributes. And when you, when you, when you give your children an exalted description of who God is, the, the things of this world will, will cease to have a draw on them especially once they are born again, if God has mercy on them. So it's, it's making the Word of God central in your family. It's making prayer central in your family. Again, this is about that uh, you need to have regular times of, of prayer with your family in devotional times and at meal times, but it's all the time. When, when, a, when a crisis or a problem occurs in your family, where do you go? If, for example, if there's a medical emergency, is, is, is your first response to go to the doctor, which is a good thing. It's good to go to the doctor, but, but not as your first response. Your first response is to go to God. He is the ultimate first responder. Go to God and trust your family to Him. Pray for your family. So it's, it's bringing the word to bear. It's, it's, it's bringing the, the prayer to bear in your family. It's taking your children to church. Showing your children the importance of church by the way that church is important to you. What would keep you from coming to church? What should keep you from coming to church? What do you think the Lord's perspective on this is? tells us, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I'll tell you right now that the, the writer of Hebrews wasn't talking about coming to church on Sunday morning and then have nothing to do with the church, giving the church hardly a thought the rest of the week. Now, coming to church faithfully is good, but being involved is even better. Some people just go to church. Rather, be the church. 
Show your children your commitment by being involved in the life of the church. Again, if you don't make church a priority, what makes you think your children are going to make church a priority? Submit to the, local, to the authority of the local church, both its leaders and its membership. Again, this is part of your responsibility as part of the fifth commandment. But by living this out in the home, not only are you being obedient to the Lord, but you're also teaching your children to do the same. Paul refers to himself as, as the spiritual father of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.15. He refers to the ministry of the apostles as nursing mothers in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. Just like a father with children in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Now Hebrews 13 has some important instruction for us on this. Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. But it's not just submission to leadership. It's, it's submission to the church. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission, again, as peers, is part of the fifth commandment. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul tells us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only on his own interests, but also in the interests of others. And then so though Paul then lifts up the example of Christ. Although he, was, he had equality with God, he, he denied his position and he submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross. Again, there's a lot more that could be said on this. Also in Hebrews 13, we have Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate your faith. Your pastors are a gift to you. Now there are times that your pastors are going to fail you. There are times your pastors are even going to sin against you. But if Vince or, or Joshua or, or I sin against you, Please come to us and talk to us about it. Give us an opportunity to, to repent and to seek forgiveness. Doing this, remembering that you also are a sinner, that we are all sinners. Remembering also that you, you need to pray for us. Pray for us, not just in those times, but pray for us all the time. Pray for us regularly. We covet your prayers. So show your children your commitment by committing to work through offenses, whether it's by the pastor or by someone else in the church. Let there be repentance and forgiveness. I, I resonated with the pastor's confession from the Mayor of Modern Divinity. This is the words of, of Evangelista. I told you one of the characters in this book. And where is the minister that does his duty so in his place as he ought? I'm sure for my own part, I have neither so diligently nor faithfully preached the pure word of God as I ought, no so fully nor truly expounded it and applied it to my hearers as I ought, no so poured out my soul to God for them in prayer as I ought, neither have I gone before them as a pattern of imitation in holiness of life and conversation as I ought. Lord, be merciful to me. Now, this is true of, of me and of every pastor and even of every parent. 
None of us have discharged our duties as we ought. And so let us confess our sin and let us ask forgiveness to show those in our charge the grace and the mercy of God. Let us walk in repentance and faith and so prove the power of the gospel. Faithfulness in your spiritual responsibilities to your children will show your children what to look for in a church. You are showing your children how important it is to find a church that first and foremost is faithful to the Word of God in proclamation and in submission to it. So that's the spiritual authority. Well, now we move on to the vocational authority. We'll be moving a little bit more quickly here. Vocational authority. Ephesians 6, 5-9 shows that the responsibility of servants to masters and vice versa, of masters to servants. Servants are to obey masters with respect and sincerity as servants of Christ, and masters, for their part, are to treat servants gently without threatening, knowing that they, as masters, are also accountable to their master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, and, and thankfully, we don't have the institution of, of slavery in this country as it took place in the ancient Near East. And if you remember from, some of you may remember from my sermons on this series, that, that the, the slavery that, that took place in the ancient Near East was very different from the slavery that took place in, in the Western world, in the, in the Americas especially. Where that, that slavery was, was racist and it was, it was referred to in the, in the scripture, that type of, of slavery was referred to as man-stealing, which was punishable by death. But in the ancient Near East, there was another form of slavery. In fact, it said that, there were, were, that up to one-third of the population of Rome were slaves. But it wasn't racial. It was slaves from, from, every, from every culture, from every culture in the surrounding region. The, the majority of the slaves in that, in that region were, were captives from war. And many others had, had, um, had become slaves because of debt. And still others sold themselves into slavery in order to, to have a better vocation. In fact, many people, there were, a lot of the, the doctors and the, the teachers and whatnot for, in, the, in ancient Rome were actually slaves. But we don't have that institution anymore. I'm thankful for that. But there is a principle that still applies here. That of employees and employers. And maybe you feel like a slave to your boss. But, but you are not a slave to your boss. You are, you are free to walk away. In fact, this is really, this is the, the actually, the, of all the ones we're going to talk about, this is the only relationship, the only authority relationship where you actually have a freedom, or at least a, a significant amount of freedom, to be able to walk away from that relationship. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But employees have responsibilities towards employers. And employers have responsibilities to employees under this commandment, as obedience to this commandment. So employers must pay their employees fairly. They must pay their employees on time. And part of this means also giving employees a day of rest. We spoke about this last week from the, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. And I focus there on, on Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, where the, the commandment includes rest for family and for guests and for servants and even animals. But the commandment is, is again repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. And in verse 15, the Lord provides Israel another reason for remembering the Sabbath. In addition to God's example of resting on the seventh day after the six days of creation in Exodus, 
Here, the reason is given because the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord had delivered them out of Egypt. And so as slaves, they, they knew what it was like to work incessantly, to work day in, day out with no rest. But the Lord had given them rest. So the Sabbath rest was to be a reminder of the rest that the Lord had given them and a reminder that they should give those who, over whom they had authority rest themselves. That one day in seven of rest. Parents, maybe you haven't looked at it this way. But you are the first bosses your children will ever have. Show your children the pattern of work and rest and then require the same from them. Teach them to see how they're to manage their time, getting things done quickly without sacrificing quality. Teach them to see the satisfaction of, of doing a job well for the glory of God. And in so doing, you are training your children what it means to fulfill your vocation, your calling faithfully by, by walking in obedience to the Lord as part of the fifth commandment. Again, we talked about diligence in work as part of the fourth commandment, but, but you're also, in your, when you're diligent in your work, you're also obeying the fifth commandment. By doing this as parents, teaching them this as parents, you're teaching your children you're teaching and training your children how to honor their future bosses. And this principle of honoring those in vocational authorities is echoed in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. I'd ask if you please turn with me there for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 18 to 25. Now the context of, of 1 Peter, and this particular this part of 1 Peter is is judging is sorry is, is suffering for doing righteousness suffering unjustly while you're doing the right thing look at verse 13 of first peter chapter 2 be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme verse 14 or at, to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good so honor the emperor Honor Caesar. Do you know who Peter was likely talking about here? Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero, the one who was responsible for killing so many Christians, the one who was likely responsible for the death of Peter himself. And here he's telling the Christians to honor the emperor. And he says it again at the end of verse 17 honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And this is, this is, this is similar to, um, this, is, this is a parallel to, to what we're talking about with, with honoring your employer. Look at verse 18. It's the same context. Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Also the unjust. And then in verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So to see what Peter is saying here, he says, he says, you are called to follow Christ's example in suffering unjustly in these authority relationships. First here to, to Nero, he's going to talk, the, the first Peter 3 is the same context about, about unjust husbands, but here with unjust bosses, 
unjust bosses. So you are called to follow Christ's example, suffering unjustly in relationships, even with your boss, because Christ was treated unjustly. And so you display the gospel by your attitude towards your boss. Obey your boss unless you're being told to sin. Again, your obedience to the first four commandments trumps your obedience to the final six commandments. And in context, you're to the fifth commandment. Out of all of the relationships we're looking at this morning, again, this is the only relationship that it's possible to walk away from. Now, servants in that culture, slaves, did not have the opportunity of the, or the option of quitting. But you do. Now, I'm not saying here that you should easily quit your job when things get hard. Ask yourself, have I done all that I can to work out this difficult situation? Have I done all that I can to display the gospel? If you can answer yes to those things, then you are free to walk away. Again, this is part of your responsibility under the fifth commandment, your responsibility to your boss. But it's also part of your responsibility to your children and ultimately responsibility to the Lord. So that's vocational authority. Now let's look at governmental authority. This is the, the final human authority we're going to consider this morning. There's a parental element of authority here as well. David refers even to the wicked Saul as his father in 1 Samuel 24, 11. Parents, you are your children's first boss and you are your children's first governing authority. Again, you are teaching your children what it means to obey the governing authority by the way you submit to the government and by as well as in your instruction as well as by your example. And your responsibilities towards the government are, are clear. Just uh, unless you flip back, you're hopefully you're there in Second Peter. Again, look at verses 13 and 14. Be subject to every human institution. The emperor to, to Nero. To Nero. It's not just submit to him, but honor him as part of your obedience to the fifth commandment. Now, if Peter called the church to honor Nero, certainly, we are able to honor Justin Trudeau. The, the, the Prime Minister of Canada is, is called the Right Honorable Justin Trudeau. This is a title that he will bear for life. He will be called the Right Honorable for the rest of his life. Even if, if he is not elected in the, in the next election, he'll still be called the Right Honorable Justin Trudeau. Now, you might not agree with all of his policies, or with his character. But you have to respect the office. You have to respect the office. This, this is an illustration that I've used before, but, but in the movie MacArthur, it's not about John MacArthur, but about General Douglas MacArthur, there's a scene in which the U.S. President, Harry Truman, goes to Korea to check up on MacArthur because MacArthur, it seems, has gone rogue. And MacArthur is, is failing to, to be accountable to the president. And so, in, so Truman goes to Korea to check up on him. And in, so this, this took place in 1951. And Air Force One went to, to Korea 
to meet MacArthur. Protocol required that MacArthur would be there with an honor guard to, to welcome the, presi the president. But MacArthur showed up 45 minutes late. Now, it's bad enough to be late in general, but you, you ought not to be late for the president. And Truman reprimanded MacArthur. Listen to his words. He says to MacArthur, Now you look here. I've come halfway around the world to meet you, but don't worry about that. I just want you to know I don't care what you do or think about Harry Truman. But don't you ever again keep your commander-in-chief waiting. Is that clear? Harry Truman is saying here, I am just a man. But this position as commander-in-chief is a position that demands respect. Think about this in, in our own context. Think about, 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 about our own prime minister. I think about, about what's, what's taking place with our neighbors to the south. I'm, I'm frankly concerned with what I hear coming from people about Donald Trump. I'm, I'm concerned especially in what I hear Christians, some Christians saying about Donald Trump. Whatever you think of him, whatever you think of his policies, respect the office. Respect the office. We're also told to pray for those in authority. 1 Timothy 2.2, we're to pray for, the, for kings and all those who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and dignified in every way. And verse 3, it says that they might be saved. For God desires the people from every position of life, whether it's kings or servants, to come to saving faith in Christ. I wonder, do you pray for Donald Trump? Do you pray for Justin Trudeau? You're commanded to pray especially for our own prime minister. Now let's look at, at quickly at Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Romans 13, 1 to 7. Again, this, is, th this would be a subject of, of at least uh, one sermon, uh, but I'm going to go through it very quickly. Verse 1, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So what, what Paul is saying here is that we need to submit to the governing authorities because they've been placed there by God. And so when we fail to submit to the governing authority, we are failing to submit not just to them, but to God. And part of that, if you look at verse 6, includes paying taxes. So we... we if we fail to pay your taxes, you are actually sinning against God. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one that we are to render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And also look that it's, it means that we are to submit to their discipline. To their discipline. In, in verses uh, 4 and 5, that the, the governing authority bears the sword. Now, in times past, especially when we look back at, at ancient Israel, to whom this, this commandment was first given, the capital punishment was in place. And capital crimes didn't include just murder, but, but spiritual crimes as well. That idolatry and, and immorality required the death penalty. And so did disobedience to parents. Disobedience to parents under the old covenant in the theocracy of Israel required the death penalty. Someone who struck a parent 
or someone who even cursed their parents was stoned to death. Now we do not any longer live under the old covenant. We are living under the new covenant in Christ's blood. We are not living in a theocracy. We're not living in a country where, in a country where the, where the, the, the government is, a, is, is the priests. We're living very much in a secular society. And, and so the, the punishment, the discipline has changed. The discipline has changed. Now before we think ultimately about what that discipline is, let's, let's think about the discipline that's been given to parents to wield. We don't bear the sword, but we bear the rod. We bear the rod. All through Proverbs, we're told about how parents are, are given the rod to discipline their children. In, uh, in, in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. If you, if you withhold discipline from your child, you are hating your child. Now in our country, parents are allowed to spank their children. Parents are allowed to spank their children in this, in this country. And ultimately, we, we honor God. We, we obey God in this. And also Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold the discipline from a child, for if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So we might think and say, wow, we look at that at, under the Old Covenant and we see that the disobedience to parents required the death penalty. But when we think about under the New Covenant, this is not a relaxing of the punishment. This is an eternalizing of the punishment. It's not just talking about physical death, but spiritual death. And so a parent who, who properly disciplines their child is actually a means of grace in that child's life. Helping them to, to come under authority and to know that they're under authority. And, and you see this even if you turn back to, to Exodus chapter 20. If we think about the, the, the reason for obedience that's given here in the second half of the verse. Verse 12. So on your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So there's one sense in which a disobedient child could cut their life short by being executed. But when you think about the ways that, that children disobey their parents, and if, if that's not nipped in the bud when they're young, they could actually be cutting their lives short. When Jane's um, eldest brother and sister were, were, were um, in the yard in Southern California. There was, there was a rattlesnake on the path right near their children, right near Jane's elder brother and, eldest brother and sister. And so Jane's mother said, Children, come to me immediately. Come to me immediately. And the children immediately came. Now, if those children had disobeyed, I shudder to think of what could have happened. 
If they had run off like, like children are, are prone to do. Or think about, about my children. If, if I don't teach them to, to, to stay on the, on the yard and to hold our hands where, where, when we're crossing the street or, or walking through a parking lot, then, then they could be cutting their lives short with their disobedience. And I think the stakes get higher as you get older. When I think about my life as a teenager and my, my wanton rebellion and the number of times and ways that I was putting my life in jeopardy by my choices, by my disobedience to my parents. And I thank God that in, in His grace He spared me and I, I repented. I had time to repent. But parents, you are being given an opportunity to train your children in these ways. Please turn with me in your Bible as we draw to a close, Hebrews chapter 12, the, the passage that Ross, Hebrews 13 rather, the passage that, that Ross read for us in the call to worship. So Hebrews 12. Here the example is given of Christ in obedience to his heavenly Father, submitting and, and letting everything go because of the weight of glory that was held before him. Then we see in, we see in, the, in the, the following portion here, we're, we're, given, we're given parents. Given, we're given parents as a blessing to be able to, to honor and to, to serve them and to be able to, to obey them. And, and fathers, we're told, are given as, a, as disciplinarians. That they love us out of, that they, they discipline us out of love. And in this, they're showing forth the example of God as our Father. Listen to verse, Hebrews 12, verse 9. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So parents, you are proclaiming the fatherhood of God in the way that you train your children. We have the glorious privilege of calling God our Father in heaven. You can call God your Father. Because Jesus Christ, in all of his life, submitted to his heavenly Father. And because there was a time that Jesus did not call his heavenly Father, Father. Every time that Jesus prayed in the Gospels, he began his prayers, Father. Every time, except for once. The only time Jesus did not address God as Father in the Gospels is when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are able to call God Father 
because there was a time that Jesus Christ didn't. Because the Father poured out his just and holy wrath on his Son in your place. Jesus obeyed his heavenly Father perfectly. He didn't just obey his, his earthly parents. Talk about an example. He knew the sin of, of Mary and Joseph's hearts, but he fully obeyed them. But he fully obeyed them out of love for his Father in heaven. And that obedience came even to the point of death on a cross. So you are able to call God Father because of the obedience of Christ and because of the punishment that he received for your disobedience. But if you are here this morning as an unbeliever, someone who is disobedient to all kinds of authority and ultimately disobedient to God, and disobedient to his call to repent and turn from your sins, then you will receive a punishment much greater than the disobedience of a cursing son in the Old Testament. You receive a punishment that is eternal separation from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You are being given an opportunity here yet again to turn from your obedience, to turn from your obedience and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're amongst many people here who have done that. Many people who are seeking to, to walk in daily submission to God and as part of that submission to be, to be obedient to those authorities that God has placed in, their, in our lives. Turn to Christ. Submit to Christ out of love for Christ and receive forgiveness in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this great gospel. Lord, as we see the depth of this commandment, as you've seen so far in each one of the commandments, Lord, we realize that we fall woefully short of what you are commanding us to do. Lord, that even though we have been given new hearts, hearts that, that now seek to obey you and seek to obey the proper authorities, Lord, we still fail. Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn to you in repentance and faith. Lord, we pray that you would work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight, that you would help us Lord, to grow into our obedience of every institution that you have placed over us. For your glory as we seek to reflect the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.